Walk in Your Excellence. I'm your host, Sean Larry, and thanks for listening to this week's episode of Walk in Your Excellence. You know, March is National Women's History Month, and when I think of amazing, powerful women in our history, one of the people that come to mind is Ida B. Wells. She stands out to me as someone who was a feminist before feminism was an actual thing, before it became acknowledged or even popular. She was a journalist, a newspaper editor, a sociologist. She was one of the earlier leaders of the civil rights movement, but one of the founders of the NAACP, which a lot of people don't know. Throughout her life, she was investigative journalism. She exposed America for the country that it truly was way back in the day through her documentation of lynching in the South. And when I think of today's guests, the fearless, the strong, the courageous, the bold Natasha Alford, who is in the building with me today, she reminds me of the Ida B. Wells almost a century ago. She is a voice and advocate for the people, and she is one of the most beautiful women in social media today. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well. <laughs> Natasha Alford is here in the studio with me and walking your excellence. She is a Harvard University graduate and recently received the Rising Leader Award from her alma mater. She joined Teach for America as an English teacher in Washington, D.C., and later went on to work on education policy. Natasha has been a contributor to some of the largest media outlets in TV and radio, has compelled us with a TED Talk, has an original web series, which we're going to hear more about, and is the deputy editor of The Griot, where I get all of my information. That's Please what I like to hear. join me in welcoming <laughs> the amazing Natasha Alford. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. That was incredible. <laughs> I feel motivated for the rest of my life yes. after that introduction. Yes, thank you. that's you. You're amazing. You're amazing. And I want to first thank you for coming on to Walk in Your Excellence. Like I ask every guest, like I want you to compel us, Natasha. Tell us who you are. Wow. Well, first, I'm just humbled to be here to have the platform to talk with you. And I'm Absolutely. so glad that you're doing this podcast. Yes. It's amazing. Every <laughs> single you. one of us has excellence in us. Mm. And I think the key is finding what our calling is, yes. what our highest calling is. And, you know, I, I would say that if I have to sum up who I am or the person that I'm constantly working to be, mm -hmm. it is to be somebody who is authentic, to be somebody who is a servant. And, you know, I do that through my work through storytelling yeah. but ultimately it's to inspire mm. educate and inform nice. that is that is what I try to do so yeah I, I think you can do that in different ways right you, you kind of talked about the journey to get here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've, I've had a lot of different jobs yeah I've, yeah, yeah. I've lived in a lot of different cities and ultimately I think using my voice yeah. writing interacting with people those are the things that have always felt very natural to me yeah and, you know, sometimes we talk about what am I supposed to do with my life, right? Mm -hmm. That's a huge mm -hmm. question, especially mm -hmm. when you're in your 20s. And you may try to follow someone else's example of success rather than asking yourself, well, what do I naturally do right. that is fun or exciting yeah. or that feels right? Mm -hmm. And actually using that and building on those skills. Yeah. And I think for me, it wasn't until I started to pay attention to that and pay attention to what people were telling me, which was always, oh, that was a great speech that you gave or mm. that was a great poem or, you know, that thing that you wrote, that was dope. Like, those are the things that I love to do. Nice. And it was time for me to center that and make that my everyday job. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That, and that's that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast. Like, as you know, I grew up performing and being on stage. And like, I, I think as a principal, I get to do that every day with my students and right. with my staff. But this is truly what I love, like getting other people's stories, having conversation and really just tapping into the things that make people who they are is really the conversation for walking your excellence. So I'm happy that you're here. And thanks for sharing that little bit. I want to start digging deep in some questions to tell us even more about who you are. Walk us through your childhood. Like, mm -hmm. I love hearing about people's childhood. I had like a 
a unique experience growing up. And I think that like they shape, our experiences help like shape the way we think about the world Absolutely. and like how we, the decisions that we made. How do you think like your childhood has impacted who you are today? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, for most people, most people should know that I'm from Syracuse, New York. I okay. was born and upstate. raised upstate New York, which is very different than New York City. Facts. And, and I never <laughs> go around saying I'm from New York because it's just a different world. It's yeah. a different experience. Yeah. And a lot of people associate Syracuse with basketball mm -hmm. or the university, but there's a whole other side of Syracuse. There's an inner city to Syracuse. Mm. There's poverty in Syracuse. And I, I would say, you know, depending on where you live, you can have a really sexual segregated experience mm. and so at the same time my hometown is a great place to raise a family you know um, we're hard-working people we're humble people uh, and and I'm really proud to be from there yeah. so my mother is from the Bronx she's okay. Puerto Rican heritage and my father's African-American okay. our family came from the South South Carolina Florida that that area of the United States and my parents met in Syracuse, stayed there. I grew up there, I'm the only child. And from a very young age, mm. I mean, I could remember as early as four or five years old, reading, books, education, that was their emphasis. Wow, And so early. Very early, and they always said to me that no matter what happens, you know, you are a black Latina girl. Yeah. <laughs> Those three things in America and you're gonna have to work three times as hard mm. to get what the next person may have. But if you focus on your education, no one can take that away from you. Yeah. And when you're five, I mean, I think you, you say yes and right. you can process that on a certain level. But as you get older, you really start to understand what your parents mean by that. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. I thank my parents for emphasizing that reading. You know, I would get in trouble for reading books wow. <laughs> and not like my mom would be like, put the book down. Natasha. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's time to eat dinner. But I always had a book in my hand. That's beautiful. And going to public school, that ended up being an asset because in many ways I would be ahead. There were there were lots of there are lots of ways that if you read to a child, mm -hmm. if you expose them to vocabulary, you're setting them up for success before they walk in the room. Yeah. Right. People expect that teachers do all that work. But the reality is you have to do some work at home. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I think that foundation and the emphasis on education really was the thing that gave me just kind of a mission. Yeah. You know, I was always I loved learning eternal lifelong student. Yeah. So I did well in school growing mm -hmm. up in Syracuse. And I think the real breakout moment for me was when I was 14 years old, I, I did a public speaking competition yeah. put on by the American Legion and the NAPID, the National African American Parent Involvement Day. Okay. And I had to give a speech about the Constitution. And I'm 14. You know, I mean, what do I know about, about the, the Constitution? Constitution. Exactly. I, what I learned <laughs> in social studies, but I started to, to study the Constitution mm. as a 14-year-old black girl from the inner city of Syracuse. Wow. And I don't know, I think I found my voice through that, but I also think there was a powerful statement in seeing a young black girl get on stage and talk and about talk the 14th Amendment yeah. and slavery and citizenship. And so I started winning these competitions and I went to state championship, I won the state championship, I, I went to the national championship year after year, and it just created a different track for me. Yeah. You know, I think I could have easily gotten caught up in other things. For sure. In my neighborhood or, you know, it just gave me something to be focused on. 
And so that set up the road for college mm-hmm. and Harvard mm-hmm. and all the things that came after that. Yeah. But it all started with reading. Nice. I love it. Oh, the, the inner ed- educator in me is like jumping for joy uh, that you, you love reading. And bless your, your mom's heart, like to, to expose you so early. You know, we both uh, were Teach for America. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we've troubled the ward of education. I'm still in education. And I deal with high school students, but I see the gap once, I, once they get there. I have ninth graders who are still reading on a fourth grade reading level, which is painful. And like the, the exposure that some kids, I'm, I'm grateful for your experience, but so many of our students come in into like elementary school having that million word gap right mm-hmm. they're exposed to their parents who were educated who are using extensive vocabulary at like the age of three and four and just like in the most precious stage of our development you know they're getting that that life they're getting that information and so many black kids are just not I'm happy and you talked you talked a little bit about Harvard I'm glad you th- you you threw that in there all of that led you to be a Latina in America going to one of the most prestigious if not the most prestigious university in America. Talk to me about your experience at a PWI. I know like at Cornell, I had a, I had a rough adjustment time. Mm-hmm. Like, and even thinking back to it, now I know like I was in a program, uh, which I thought was really exciting over the summer. And it was a remediation program. Now that I think about it, I'm <laughs> right, like, wait, like, oh, that was a, I'm like, yeah, this is fun. This is like, uh, yeah, it's like 200 <laughs> black kids. We're going to Cornell. We're getting extra credits in the summer. It's free. And now I'm like, oh, I know what that is. So tell me about your experience at Harvard. Oh, my God. Well, I just have to say that it was my top choice. I always wanted to go to Spelman College. Mm. A lot of people don't know that. But I wanted to go to an HBCU. Me too. (laughs) Unfortunately, coming from a working class family, I didn't get enough scholarship money Mm. to go, Mm -hmm. which is just the reality of it. And so uh, with Harvard University, they have incredible financial aid packages. So if you do come from a working class family, even a middle class family, most of your tuition is is covered. So I I think a lot of people don't know that and should. But yes, I did go in excited. I was like, oh my God, everything that I've ever wanted, I can finally get out of school. You know, I had a great experience going to school in Syracuse, but there was always a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Between the public Mm -hmm. schools and the suburban schools. They had like these amazing facilities and new books and all these things, and we didn't have that. And I just felt like I would finally get a chance to get an education that was was comparable. I, I, I just, it was like a playground for me in terms of learning. But I did have that insecurity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were taking those tests, you know how you go and you take your, so they can kind of see what your levels are, where you're starting. Exactly. I walked out of the math one. I've never (laughs) said that publicly, but I just looked down at it and I was like, nah, this. Not just not, nope, not gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. <laughs> like I think I answered maybe ten questions and I walked out. Um, unfortunately, you know, I couldn't get around it because at right. Harvard there's a core curriculum and they ensure that you take classes in every subject. For sure. So I had to take statistics mm-hmm. and all this for the mm-hmm. the major that I took. But um, once I got over that sense of insecurity and I realized that we were all coming from different places. Yeah. And and once you got there, there was this sense that now that you're in, we're all going to make it. Yeah. You know, whatever resources that you need academically, you you have that there. It's a matter of what you put in. You Mm kind of get out what you put in. And I had a breakthrough junior year where, you know, I brought my GPA mm-hmm. to a, a decent rate. You know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I felt like it was good. I felt like I belonged. I didn't feel like I was trying to prove that I needed to be at Harvard. I felt like this is my school. Yeah. You know, and I had an incredible experience in the black community. We are like a family, or at least we were like a family. Yeah. 
that made me feel like I was not an outsider in any mm-hmm. way. That mm-hmm. was home base. We had parties, you know, we had uh, meetings and just a sense of really caring about black people yeah. beyond Harvard. It mm-hmm. was like we had a responsibility to go out and do something that would make a difference. At least the years that I was there, yeah. you know, 2008 to two, 2004 to 2008. Gotcha. So I look back on those years really fondly. Mm-hmm. Lots of lessons learned. Lots of pressure still okay. that, you know, I put on myself. I think you you want to do well, you feel like you can't really fail, you yeah. feel like a lot of people are kind of, re- you know, uh, depending on you, mm-hmm. but you grow through that. Yeah. And so I had a great experience. Yeah, all right. So Natasha, I wanna jump into the world of journalism, right? And so I don't want you to talk a little bit, of, I don't want you to talk about your career change yet because we're gonna get there. Okay. But I think like a, a decade ago, like we, the way we got news was just so different. Like maybe, maybe a little bit more than a decade ago, but like with social media, with Twitter, with Snapchat, with our iPhones, we have access literally at the touch of a button to news, whether it's like amazing news, detrimental news, fake news, whatever it is. I, I want, how do you think that like that our technology has shaped the way journalism is today? Mm. Well, technology is everything right now. Right. I mean, technology has empowered voices and platforms, um, people to join platforms mm-hmm. who never would have been able to participate, mm-hmm. right? So there were the big three, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, For sure. that people had to tune into every night. Yeah. Well, now you don't necessarily have to tune into just these three networks in order to get news. You right. have people who are able to do their own broadcast. Mm-hmm. So what does many, that mean for them though? It, well, I, I think that kind of gets into a question of standards, right? Okay. Journalistic ethics. Okay. Because it's one thing to consider yourself a journalist and commit to a set of standards mm-hmm. and sort of rigorous testing of information versus being an everyday civilian yeah, who, you know, sense. is is sharing your opinion and maybe mixing that in with the news of the day. Right. And then you right. have audiences that have become segmented and so they say, "Well, I want to tune in to get my news from this person because they reaffirm what I already believe about mm-hmm. the world." You know what I mm-hmm, mean? Mm-hmm. Versus having a place where you can go and you feel like okay this is just about the story this is just about what happened of course everyone claims to be um well not everyone but a lot of people claim to be neutral and they claim to just you know tell the truth of what happened right but i think we all know that you can tune into certain places to hear a certain spin Mm -hmm. or a certain angle Mm -hmm. and a certain set of values that are reinforced yeah so I think that's a problem. (laughs) Of course. Right? It's a problem. It's something that people have been fighting. When you look at our election Mm -hmm. with what happened with Russia's interference Mm -hmm. and being able to manipulate people to put information in front of them to generate fear, to generate hatred, to generate division, all at people's fingertips. Yeah. That is scary. Yeah. And so I think what we see now is Facebook saying, okay, let's take a step back. Let's think about how we shift the algorithms Mm. so Mm -hmm. people are actually seeing more local news, right? So not just national conversations, but what's happening around them. And then they have hired people from journalism, from the journalism and news world to help them sort of craft standards. Mm. I don't know if that's going to be enough, but it's a problem enough for people to react to it. Yeah, 
Yeah. It makes total sense. And yeah. so you you did a you did a TEDx talk, uh, which I've been trying to do for some time. So if you got a hookup, <laughs> you gotta you gotta let me know. Oh, um, the TEDx talk. <laughs> but you did one back in I believe in like 2015, yeah, the Courage right. to Report, right? Mm-hmm. And then it chronicled uh, some of, some of your reporting experiences and yeah. like the Black Lives Matter movement. Tell me a little bit about that TEDx talk. Yeah, it's so funny when I look at the TEDx talk, I cringe just a little bit. <laughs> Why? Because, and looking at yourself and looking at myself because yeah. I, I just feel like I was such a different person then or at least mm, that I was just to, two years ago though. I had to present differently mm. and and that was the thing it was like working in uh, a space like local broadcast news gotcha you know you are expected to dress conservatively mm-hmm. and to talk mm-hmm. a certain way and it's like I'm I, I just I think that I that was my first attempt to use my voice in a way that felt really true, mm. but I was still very much in the kind of broadcaster mindset. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I think I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and I think mm-hmm. you had on like a navy blue or yeah. like very like you teacher know, like the very hair corporate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. But we do what we have to do, right? Of course, we feel of as though you know this this path will lead us to a certain place, and mm-hmm. it and it did actually led me to right now for sure, where I feel like I'm I'm speaking in my most authentic voice, mm-hmm. and I'm getting to cover issues that I care about but the point of that entire TEDx talk was to empower people to feel as though they do have a role in reporting Mm. they do have a role in news gathering and I use the story of Fadine Santana Mm -hmm. who was there when Walter Scott was shot and killed by officer then officer Michael Slager who shot him in the back while he was running away Mm. and this idea that when black people say that we deal with police abuse Mm -hmm. and brutality and that we are not treated as human, it's hard for some people to imagine that because for them, police officers represent um, protection, protection, right? It's a positive experience Mm -hmm. and they literally would not believe it until they saw it on camera, like through the eyes of someone else. And Fadine Santana, who said he's an everyday person, Mm -hmm. he picked up his cell phone, he recorded and was able to prove that this murder it was a straight out murder took place. Yeah. And so maybe you're not gonna be in a space where you capture a murder every day, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But to have the mindset to say that what I see matters, mm-hmm. what I report matters, what information I share matters to how a story is told. So yeah. it was about empowerment. Yeah, I think that was the, the goal of the whole thing. Yeah, and you know that I, I think like obviously you, you said in a, your earlier statement um, about like you inspire, you educate, and so there is a, still an educator within you, which, oh, is, which, which is what I love. So I have to I have to talk about education just for a second. Um, you did a report, and I mean you speak on a number of different topics like feminism, representation in uh, media and the workplace, and uh, a plethora of other things, but I want to talk about your experience in TFA and in Washington, D.C. as an English teacher, and then tell me a little bit about um, the report you did on the school to prison pipeline which is mm-hmm. like what I've been passionate about and um, studying with a lot of amazing people um, who have dedicated their lives to understanding the plight of the black man and working to create a more asset-based narrative to who we are mm-hmm. so touch on both of those things absolutely well school to prison pipeline for anyone who's listening that's mm-hmm. never heard of that term it's the idea that there are systems and structures that push kids out of school Mm -hmm. straight into juvenile detention or into the criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about having police officers on campus who rather than figuring out how you can de-escalate a situation with a student, your first resort is to 
t- uh, have a police officer arrest them mm-hmm. on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I understand. I, I want to emphasize that I I was a teacher. Right. I'm not saying that you don't have kids who are off the chain. Facts. Right. Who who just are completely disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Who do not want to follow the rules. Who actually want to turn the rules on you know yeah. their head yeah. to to create disruption. But they are children yeah, also. And the way that the system treats them often is not as children, especially black and Latino children are not seen as children. They're treated as adults and they're ready to throw them away right yeah. away. Yeah. And so school to prison pipeline is the way that all those systems work together mm-hmm. and people are trying to disrupt that and to say, how can we change that? Yeah. And so restorative justice was one of the tools that I focused on, mm-hmm. which is teaching children how to right wrongs and how to atone for those things and be a part of a community. So we're not just suspending them and Mm -hmm. putting them away in jail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, as a, as a high school principal, I deal with this like every single day, Uh, even the, the fact of like having security and we have to make those tough decisions, right? Like I hate having police in my, in my building and I don't have a security guard like at the front desk and Mm -hmm. I do that purposefully, but now I'm dealing with teachers like we're in Newark, like we need security. Every other school has it. And I'm like, we don't have to criminalize our students. Like they don't have to walk in and go through metal detectors before eight o'clock. They don't have to see a police officer that doesn't interact with them, uh, except if if it's for negative and doesn't say good morning to them. That's the key Um, right there. You know, but but it, and it's hard though. Like as a as a school leader, I have to make those very tough decisions because God forbid, what if something does happen? Right, and then you know? the blame will be on you. It's the all fingers on me. Are there to it's point? All on yeah, me. absolutely. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. Now I know that you have a web series that yeah. I want to talk about. Yes, let's Tell talk me. about it. Tell me everything. <laughs> true story, right? Yeah, it's true story. I'm deputy editor over at thegrio.com. Mm-hmm. We're a, a news outlet that focuses on stories that impact Black America. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was essentially bring video news that covers issues impacting black America yeah. rather than you know a one click story right that gives you only a few uh, paragraphs about an issue mm-hmm. let's get to the personal side of things right so one of the first stories I did Eric Alvarez a man who received a commutation from President Obama. Mm. This man was gonna spend years behind bars over drug charges. President Obama commuted his sentence, he was able to get out. And he talked about trying to turn his life around. You know, we went, we followed him, seeing him at work, seeing him with his family. Mm -hmm. And so, so I just, I want people to never forget about the human side of things. There's so many statistics, so many depressing headlines, but who are the people behind the stories? Mm-hmm. And also, how can we find solutions to some of the, the problems that are plaguing society? Yeah. So that's awesome. what the, the web series tries to cover. Yes, yes. We have to tune into that. I, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, check now, it out. I know that you have had a number of careers. I feel like you have lived an entire <laughs> lifetime and you're so young. I want you to walk me through like your career choices. How, like what oh, inspired man. them? Why did you change? Like all that stuff. Man, well, I could write a book about it. I probably <laughs> will. Just that as a heads up. Right. I'm, I'm working on a book actually. Nice. Um, working on a book about being uh, both identity growing up as a, a black Latina in the United States mm-hmm. and, and that forming that sense of what is a woman, right? What does it mean to be a black woman, a Latina woman, but also just like finding your path in life. Mm -hmm. So the short version of this is that I was a senior in college, writing a senior thesis, um, going through some health treatment. I was dealing with a a blood disorder at the time, didn't know if it was gonna be a lifelong thing. Thankfully, Mm. I went into remission and didn't have to deal with that later. Awesome. But I was recruited to take a job at a hedge fund. Okay. And so it was good money. 
it was security and it was the fall of senior year, right? Mm -hmm. Most people are looking for jobs until the end. So I took the offer. About a year in, it didn't really take long for me to realize that I wasn't passionate about the work yeah. as much as I respected the people that I worked with. I learned a lot. You know, I, I thought maybe I could do something with the experience, but it just didn't feel right mm. in my spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I was just like, I didn't, I just didn't make it this far to kind of be in this office out in Connecticut. Yeah, like yeah. just, it just didn't feel like I was being used in the way that I was supposed to. Gotcha. So I left. Yeah. Which is hard to do. It's hard. It's hard to walk away from six figures when you're 23. Facts. And people are like, you only. need to stack money. And, you know, you, you're able to send money back home mm -hmm. and do things with your family. I walked away from that. I wanted to do Teach for America. Mm -hmm. I missed the deadline at that point. So I actually did a fellowship at a school called the Equity Project in Washington Heights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and learned what it took to build a school. Mm. You know, I worked in the office. I answered the phones. Yeah. I picked up lunches. I yeah. crossed kids across the street. It was, and this is before TFA. This was right before this. TFA. Yeah. A year of doing that and working alongside some of the smartest teachers in the business. Mm. Because this school, their model was pay teachers $100,000 salaries right. and get the best and you will see the results. Facts. We were humble. We were in trailers. Yeah. We weren't even in a school building. Wow. And they were able to produce results that got them in the top 10% of New York City middle schools. Wow. It's a charter school. Yeah. So through that experience, I think I was set up for for even more success in Teach for America because mm -hmm. I saw teachers working and, and making it happen. Yeah. So then after that, I did TFA in D.C. Okay. You know TFA. Yep. Yep. Very familiar. You know TFA. Mm -hmm. You know it is one of the hardest things you'll ever do, Facts. one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do. Mm -hmm. And to me, it really felt like this is service. Yeah. I get, I feel like, if more people understood what it was to be a teacher or what happens inside in of our schools, yeah. this this is a call to action. Like Facts. this is the front lines. Everybody we needs need to, to be working. Everybody, mm -hmm. whether you have a child or not, because yep. this is it. Yeah. This is the front lines. And I thought that I would be in education forever. Mm -hmm. I actually wanted to um, maybe become a superintendent or something mm -hmm. like that. After my commitment in the core, I had an opportunity to go work in the policy realm and I took it. I just really felt that while I was making a difference in the classroom through policy, I could yeah. impact more, more students. Of course. It's just, you know, it's a scale thing. Yeah. Um, but through being there, the CEO who I was working for, she, she was publicizing a book. Um, she really prominent figure in education, Michelle mm -hmm. Ree, very controversial. Yeah. Some people don't really rock with her like that. Mm -hmm. I was I was neutral in terms of whether I necessarily agreed with everything that they stood for, for sure. but I felt that I could learn through being there and I could make a difference. And so working on her book, I was being exposed to media and it just kind of hit me. Yeah. It was like a series of epiphanies, but yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. I want to be the one on the other side telling the story. For sure. Like I don't want people telling the story about what's happening in education and beyond. I think there's a perspective that's missing. Yeah. But also like, I like to speak. I like to write. Mm -hmm. I like to meet people. Mm -hmm. Why am I not doing that every single day yeah. rather than trying to fit into another box of what leadership looks like? Because sure. I was going to go to I was going to go to business school mm -hmm. and be do like a social entrepreneurship track. Right. So on the low, I applied to journalism school while I was preparing for business school. Right. Got in. And then it was like, wow, now you this have a decision. Yeah. And I made the decision to go to journalism school. It was very hard. 
Because a lot of people were like, you're not going to make any money. You're going to be mm-hmm. broke. Mm-hmm. Who needs it? Who like needs- social media. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Journalism's changing. Yeah, Why do you yeah. need to go to journalism school? Yep. You know, just doubts. Yeah. And it, I felt convicted. Mm-hmm. And I it was my five-year college reunion. Oprah Winfrey, Soledad O'Brien were both the headline speakers that year. Yeah. And I was just like, uh, I just feel this like is it. God it's is just the, being Those like, are the signs. Oprah's go. here. <laughs> if Oprah says, follow your dreams. Right. I'm doing you know it. What I'm, saying? I'm doing it. Best decision I made in my life. Mm-hmm. The point of all of that change mm-hmm. is that it's not that one thing was the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Each chapter contributed to me getting closer and closer to finding my purpose. Yeah. And I think we all. I love that. We all have that in us. I love that. You know, if you look at what connect those dots backwards, mm-hmm. right? That's what you're able to do when you've traveled. But if you don't take the risk to go out, you'll never be able to look back yeah. and see what the what the lesson was. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Thank you for that word. Natasha, tell us how you walk in your excellence every day. Ooh, wow, that's a deep question. Yeah. That's a deep question. I walk in my excellence every day by doing what I love. Mm. I push myself. Every day, I'm asking how I can be a better storyteller, how I can serve people better with the work that I do. Mm -hmm. People are relying on like the information that we put out. Like you said, you read, you read the griot, or even if 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 I wasn't at the griot, wherever I work, somebody is reading that information, and so I just feel a sense of responsibility to get it right. Yeah, and walking in excellence is about pushing yourself, believing in yourself doing the work, persevering through challenges, persevering through failure, um, but most of all, moving forward. Love it. Nice, so. nice. And where can we find you? Oh, I'm everywhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Instagram. Uh, the, the, you know, the internet uh, makes everybody accessible, but yeah. yes, I'm often on Instagram. Okay. My Instagram is Natasha S. Alford. The S is for Sonia. It's my grandmother's name. Nice. And I'm also on Twitter, Natasha S. Alford. And um, the Griot. I'm deputy editor at thegrio.com. Our Facebook page is popping. Come yeah. check us out. We've got stories. I do videos daily. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, that's the best way to get in touch. Yeah. What was your last video? Last video actually was for Black History Month. Yeah, I think I saw yeah, it on Instagram. Yeah, it was a Black History Month kickoff. We're going to be doing videos about hidden heroes, mm. people that you don't often hear about. And I'm doing a daily news show i have not announced uh what it is yes. i guess we're here we're so. here on walking uh, your excellence listen up it's called the download nice. and it's just a 60 second daily news update so you can check it out on instagram awesome. everybody has 60 seconds in a day yeah, for so sure come for hang sure. out with me oh natasha i am just <laughs> inspired by listening to your story and so humbled and honored that you were a guest on walking your excellence you guys heard it natasha the journalist the feminist the educator the media sensation the entrepreneur entrepreneur, just so many walks of life. She has definitely dropped so many golden nuggets on us today. So thank you for coming, Natasha. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for for building and creating this. Yes, I appreciate it. And uh, folks listening in, this is your host, Sean Larry. Until next episode, define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and always remember to walk in your excellence. 
Walk in Your Excellence is recorded at Necessary Studios in New York City. Produced by myself, Maya, and Nikki. Follow us on Instagram at NEC Studios. I'm your host, Sean Larry. You can find me on Instagram at Formula22, at Walk in Your Excellence. Tag the hashtag Walk in Your Excellence and visit my website, www.seanlarry.com. That's S E A N L A R R Y. Define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and always remember to walk in your excellence.